Hi there. Thanks for coming tonight. I'm just going to have a couple quick readings, and then you can get back to talking. Uh, it's the launch of our winter 2005 issue. This is it right here. It's on sale up at the door there. Andrew and Maggie are selling it. It's only $4. Please pick one up. If you buy one between now and the end of the readings, we have a little door prize book giveaway courtesy of uh, Nancy Coach House and uh, ECW and Devorah Hair Studio. There's some, some hair products as well tonight that we're giving away. So uh, we're supposed to have three readers. Uh, Kathleen Whelan is sick, unfortunately, as is everyone else I called to fill in for. So I guess there's something going around. Um, so our first reader tonight will be uh, Carrie Huffman, who lives in uh, Little Italy. She's appeared in many journals, including Broken Pencil, uh, Kiss Machine, and the Hard House Review. And she is one of our founding editors. So it's very nice to have her up on stage here. Uh, please welcome Carrie Huffman. Um, a little while ago, Conan and I were at a, a poetry reading, and it was really, really boring. And we were talking about um, how to spice things up. And so I promised Conan that I would read all my dirty poems. Um, but I'm not going to do that, I'm afraid. If you want the dirty poems, you have to buy the magazine because there's one. My poem is somewhat spicy. Uh, pardon me? I don't know. If it's boring, you can pull me off. Okay? All right. Um, so I, a little while ago, while I was thinking about the dirty poems to read, there was a story on uh, the news about the Royal Winter Fair, which I used to go to all, every year. And so I started writing a story about the horses that I had when I was a kid. And then I started writing... So then that story morphed into a story about a friend of mine who had a trampoline. Who has who a trampoline in their backyard? Like, it was really big. Anyway, so this really, in the end, isn't that much about a trampoline anyway, so... Okay, but it's called Trampoline. From where my desk is now, I can see out the window, across the playground, and through the break in the trees. Beyond that, I can see the slip of Sarah's trampoline, the tarp and orange crescent, almost the same hue as the leaves drying and shrinking on the trees. Mrs. Steves just moved ours into study groups, or pods, as she likes to call them. So that's why I'm now at the back of the classroom by the window. As much as I hate study groups, I'd way rather be near the window than stuck in the front of the middle row behind Rod Miller, who's nice and everything but smells like the pig farm he lives on. At the start of the school year, Mrs. Steves had us arranged alphabetically in rows while learning our names. That seemed to take longer than with most teachers. She's a bit strange, really. I don't know too many grade six teachers who show up at 8.30 in the morning wearing sheer blouses, complete with visible lace camisoles and tight pencil skirts. Jenny and I spotted hickeys on her neck. She didn't even try to bother to hide them. So now that she knows our names, we've been moved into these pods. I hate these study groups since I do more work than the others I'm stuck with. Jeanette Brown is so stupid she's on the verge of being retarded. And John Jackson may be the class clown, but he never does any work. Also, yesterday he brought red wine to school in a gerital bottle, the brown glass dark enough to hide the ruby color of the liquid. Jenny and I are the pod leaders for the groups on our side of the classroom. Jenny's really smart despite her family situation. Her mom is a single mother. Not too many of those in this town. Up until grade three, Jenny's family lived on the same street as me. Then her father, who owns the local furniture store, left her mom for his secretary. Now Jenny lives with her younger sister and her mother in a tiny bungalow a few blocks from our school. Jenny's mom has a boyfriend who's much younger. 
I think he's exactly between Jenny and her mom's age. When I told my mother about the younger boyfriend, she said Jenny's mom got the better deal out of the divorce. But I'm, I've been to Jenny's dad's new house, and I don't think my mom's right about that. During the summer, Jenny took me to his house at the outskirts of town so we could go swimming. He had a huge pool in the backyard. It seemed way bigger than ours, and they even have a sauna in the basement, and Jenny said there was a whirlpool in her dad's bedroom. Across a row of desks, all I, can see, I, all I could see of Jenny was the back of her head as she bent over her desk, her ponytailed hair so thin it barely covered the skin of her skull. Jenny's group was working on China, while mine was working on Brazil. I'd hauled a bag of National Geographic magazines that I found in the basement to school for us to cut up. John went through them looking for Brazilian women in thong, thong bikinis to paste on the Bristol board we're gluing together. I went back to staring out the window and waited for lunch when Jenny, Maureen, and, Sarah and I were going to Sarah's house to jump on her trampoline. Maureen is in the same class as Sarah, right beside ours. Their teacher, Mr. Jabanovich, caused a scandal in the summer when he left his wife for the local naturopath, although I have no idea how he ever met a naturopath. We actually have to walk to the front of the school and around the block to get to Sarah's house, even though her yard backs onto the school. Some of the leaves had turned and, the fa and fallen in cr fresh, crunchy piles for us to walk through. A heavy, ashy smell hung in the air from the weekend burning of leaves, and I caught sight of an ember glowing through a brown, broken-down pile at the end of Sarah's driveway. Sarah took us in the side door leading straight into the kitchen, then handed me a can of salmon and a can opener, putting me in charge of lunch. She ran outside, pulling the tarp off the trampoline, sending leaves flying like confetti across the grass. I whipped together some salmon, the fishy smell working its way down the drain as I dumped the liquid from the can. I cut the four sandwiches diagonally with a flourish. I'd spent so much time over at Sarah's in the summer, I decided to let Jenny and Maureen use the trampoline first, and then I sat at the den, flicking through the TV channels. Before long, I'd bored of TV and turned the stereo up, opening the screen door so they could hear it out at the trampoline. Maureen jumped up and down, her white socks like little apostrophes on the black mat. Sarah was trying to teach her how to do a somersault, but she just kept jumping straight up and down with her arms pressed against her sides like she was confined to an invisible tube. Maureen's legs collapsed underneath her like she'd suddenly fainted, and she rolled off the trampoline, then came inside for her lunch. Jenny and Sarah got up on the trampoline together and started jumping and dancing to a song on the radio, even though I knew it was a song Sarah hated. I noticed the kitchen door open and saw Sarah's mom balancing a few bags while trying to see into the den. For someone who'd just been to the grocery store, she, she was sure decked out, wearing a black suit and a red silk scarf. She set the bags on the floor. The paper LCBO bag flopped over. Then she came into the den with that mad mom look I'm all too familiar with. She looked at Maureen and then at me, who, who she knew better, and said, where's Sarah? I knew we were in trouble. During the summer, Sarah and I spent most afternoons either swimming at my place or at her place trying out new trampoline moves. We tried to perfect the jackknife, a move where you land sitting with your legs straight out, then twist in the other direction while you're in the air. Then we both get on and try to bounce one another around. You'd think we'd be able to force the other person off the trampoline, but instead we just fell into the middle, kind of like water collecting in a sag on the tarp after the rain. Sarah got bored with our moves and moved her lawn chair into the sun, rubbing her arms and legs with Hawaiian Tropic, 
smelling like oily coconuts. I jumped up and down using my legs to push myself higher and higher. It felt like air was getting pushed up my nose into my skull and might even break it open from the pressure. It made me dizzy, but I kept going to see whether I could crack my head, and I pulled the smell of cut grass into my lungs with each breath. While I was busy trying to bust my head open, Sarah's mother walked around the side of the house. She was stumbling, but that may have just been because of the uneven gra grass that ran between the houses. I looked over at her mom, but she just stared at Sarah. It was as though she didn't know I was there at all, even though the springs from the trampoline were squeaking, and there was a whoosh sound every time I landed. What the fuck are you doing, she asked Sarah. I stopped jumping because parents never swear. Although, once I heard my dad say fuck when his friend were, friends were over for a barbecue, and it gave me that funny, queasy feeling in my stomach. But with Sarah's mom, it was weirder. It was more like, what the fuck are you doing? All slurred, and even worse, like she didn't even care what we were doing anyway. Tanning. That's all Sarah said without even looking over. Her mom turned around and went back along the side of the house and in the front door, which made no sense since the screen door was wide open and she'd practically been standing beside it when she said fuck. I looked over to Sarah and said, what's with your mom? Is she drunk or something? Yes, Sarah said. Then I asked her where her mom was coming from before she came home and Sarah said she'd been at Crandall's. I have no idea why her mother, who's totally loaded by the way, would spend the afternoon at Crandall's Riverboat and Lounge. I'm not even allowed to go to Crandall's on Sunday brunch hour because my mom says it's a little down in the heel for us. When I looked over at Sarah, she was rubbing another layer of oil on the backs of her arms, and I started jumping up and down again, hoping that dizzy feeling in my brain might take away the sickly, nervous feeling that filled my stomach. When I got home, my older sister, Natty, was standing in the kitchen sipping a Diet Coke over the sink. Since she was dressed in her light polyester blue uniform, I knew she was about to leave for her shift at the IGA. You won't believe this, I said, grabbing a can of Coke from the fridge. Sarah's mom came home totally drunk. So, she said, picking up her bag and looking through it. Well, Sarah totally admitted that her mother was drunk. Natty smoothed the layer of pink gloss over her lips. Drunk, I said again. Lots of people get drunk, she said. Even adults, and that includes her own mother. At Crandall's, I asked, in the middle of the day. Beside, mom only drinks at home. Well, she may only drink at home, but she does plenty of drinking when she does, Natty told me, as though there'd been nonstop parties at our house I'd never been invited to. Mom doesn't drink that much, I said. You are turning into such a wasp. I have no idea what that is, I said. With Natty, it's easier to admit you don't know things up front because she'll just catch you later. White Anglo-Saxon Presbyterian. Um, I hate to break this to you, but we don't go to church. It's not about going to church, it's about who you are. And our family is a bunch of wasps, she announced. Wasps never let any emotion show. We never let the world see what's happening inside our family. We keep everything in check and have the veneer of a happy, perfect family. What's veneer? After Natty left, I flopped down on the sofa in the family room and flicked on Oprah, but stared at the bar at the end of the long, thin room. The mirrored wall behind the bar reflected the sunlight through the bottles, making amber light dance along the walls. I didn't quite get what Natty meant by the wasp thing. What would our family be trying to hide any, anything from and from whom? 
And why wouldn't Sarah's family be trying just as hard to be wasps? It just seems so weird that her mom would be drinking in the middle of the afternoon at some bar, but maybe that's what stay-at-home moms did. Was Natty implying that our mom was the same? She couldn't be since she works all day. My mom always complained that the white rum was cheap, so I guessed it was the dark rum she'd been drinking. I found a pencil on the sign table and marked a line on the liquor label, reminding myself to check the level the following day. Before we got caught by Sarah's mom at lunch and had to leave, I wondered whether we might be able to jump high enough from the trampoline to flop over the fence and end up in the schoolyard. But the trampoline was too far from the fence and there was no way even, Jenny, even with Jenny and Maureen's help we'd be able to move it. I suppose we could have just climbed over the fence and landed in the playground. But since we had a while before the lunch bell, we walked around the block and through the parking lot at the back of the school. As we walked across the crashed cracked asphalt, Mrs. Steve's car whisked through the parking lot with Mr. Jameson, the vice principal at the passenger side. I wondered if he was responsible for the most recent hickey just visible at the top of her breast. All four of us giggled as I got out of the car. Maureen started making the fucky fucky sign with her finger, but Jendi batted her hands away before we really started to crack up. Mrs. Steve spent the afternoon on math problems so remedial that even Jeanette Brown got a question right. Since math is my best subject, I barely had to work all afternoon. I finished my problems as quick as can be and returned to surveying the scene out the window. I wondered whether Sarah's mom had stopped off at Crandall's before coming home to fill her, find her house filled with a, a group of girls bouncing in her backyard. Maybe I'd drink if that was all there was to my day. Although, quite truthfully, lunch had been the highlight of my day. Mr. Jabanovich kept his class late, so Jenny and I walked home without Sarah. Do you think Sarah's mom is an alcoholic? I asked Jenny. Oh, poor Sarah. Her mother's never home, and when she is, she's drunk, Jenny sighed. Maybe Sarah's parents are breaking up. My mom drank a lot when my father left her. Well, as Natty says, people do drink. But alone, Jenny asked. That's... That seems like she might have a problem. My mom drinks alone, I said. Jenny just looked down the road before turning at her street. I'd never thought too much about my mother being a drunk like Sarah's mom until Natty implied there wasn't much difference between them. Then Jenny said that thing about drinking alone, and that's what my mom does. Just sits there in the living room with a drink in front of her. No TV, no radio, no nothing. Maybe Natty was right. Maybe the only difference between my mom and Sarah's was the bar stool at Crandall's. I opened the door to the house and noticed no one was home. Natty probably had band practice or something. I dropped my bag at the door and at the bar marked a line inches below my most recent pencil mark at the side of the bottle. Thank you. Kind of dirty. Our next author is one of our uh, our regulars. He was in our first issue way way back, uh, and he was on our CD as well. So he reads so well. Uh, he's Palmerston resident, author of Lake Where No One Swims, and co-author of Wild Mouse. Please welcome Chris Chambers. Hi everybody. So quiet. 
Um, I'd like to read some new poems that I never read before. In fact, I haven't read in quite a while now, so it's, well, we'll just have to see if it, how it goes here. I'll get the sonnet out of the way early. Cigars. Perhaps you've heard this song before. I am the walrus. You know it? It stands in front of every microphone stand and shouts, Is this thing on? It rolls around the middle in a gravy wave of delicious nostalgia. I shouldn't, should I? All this luscious slush. It yucks it up with its fellow walruses. It shushes those who need a shushing. Kings? Walruses? Indeed, we're being led around by geniuses. They swim us here, they swim us there. Why? To mark the days till walruses return to there longer, to spend their hard-won gettings at their leisure. The sonnet's out of the way. Here is me. Here's me in my too small outfit. My too small shorts and my too small shirt living in my too small world. Here is me with my tan pierced belly button showing midriff on the cover of a magazine offering up considerable sex tips. Here is me in my charcoal blazer slipping the tie into the slit America offering up last week's stock tips. Here is me in my too small world reorganizing my too small wallet, my wandering too small hands daydreaming of sex. Here is me with my mask of the extra large head sauntering down the streets of this like poetry empire flanked by women daydreaming of semantics. Here is me back in my too small apartment awake listening to sirens punctuate the night changing my too small shorts and my too small shirt. Oh, where'd Conan go? Oh, he's getting those tickets. Oh, I'm opening for the tickets. Okay. Um, one more or two more? They're going to get a little longer, I'll warn you. Okay. I got a finisher, so I'll save it. Dave Cook. I am Dave. Dave Cook. Perhaps you know me. I am not famous. Dave Cooks aren't. Not to my knowledge. We carve the roast. We lift our end. Help out with the heavy stuff. Oh, sure. We fall in love. Not every day. Not all romantic, but practically. We make love sensibly. On Saturdays, we cut the grass. Change the oil. Replace the filter. Once in a while, we go out for dinner. We eat surf and turf, drink the house red. We don't often say no at home or at work. We come in at nine. Some of us carry a lunchbox and thermos. Some of us carry sandwiches in Tupperware boxes with seal fast lids. We buy drinks from the vending machine. If we're gonna work late, we phone home in advance with a warning. Our wives are called Chandra, Maria, or Rose. Our wives are Denitra, or Shannon, or Marg. For them, among others, we are never too tired to look behind the fridge, to replace a fuse, to trigger the mousetrap. 
never too tired to fight the raccoons over garbage or drive to the pharmacist to help fight the common cold. Our thick fingers can be taught to diaper baby daughters. Our hands can be taught to hold and to calm and to quell baby daughters. Each day for the greater good, we leave. And when we return from our jobs, we greet our homes calling, how are my favorite girls? And years later, our babies will confound us with questions and behavior. We'll do our best not to say, ask your mother. And at night, we'll drink a beer. We will watch the game when the television's available. We are beauty. We are Dave. Dave Cook. Thank you. Something I observed, not about me. Equal parts driven by ambition and pile driven by alcohol. The drunken cyclist performs all his stunts from oblique to bleak, smoking cigarettes. I'll be okay, goes his mantra. If I get started. The drunken cyclist goes like this, 10, 20 yards. Slams the curb, takes a header, swears, picks himself up, picks his bike up. Off balance, plainly, visibly, succumbing to a far stronger foe. Managing gravity, not managing gravity. Briefly, barely satisfying the weightlifting judges. Holds the bike over his head like King Kong. Throws it down, disgusted, swears. Stumbles over to the pile of rubber, paint-chipped steel, chain and spokes. Forgiving this heap on the sidewalk, close to tears now. Picks his bike up. Tough love. Slams it onto its wheels. Drags it master-slave-like to the curb. Again mounts up. Instantly takes a flying leap worthy of cable TV off the sidewalk into traffic. How many drivers on a Saturday night outside the Horseshoe Tavern are behind the wheel, stone cold sober? One every five minutes? And yet they manage to swerve around, to not run over the mess, the drunken cyclist plus bikes blade smoking and cussing in the road. What a glorious city. Picks his bike up, returns to safety, the sidewalk, pickle strewn from the hot dog vendor who sells refreshments at shows like these on this corner. The drunken cyclist rests, lights a cigarette, sighs, unbeaten, crumples into his bike. The drunken cyclist pauses. The drunken cyclist naps. Good night, drunken cyclists. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks very much, Conan. <laughs>